Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. Let's go back to our foundation passage in John chapter 8. Now buckle your seatbelt because today we've got to cover some ground that the Spirit of the Lord wants to cover. I've been impressed with this all week. It's been a journey for me to hear the voice of the Lord. I've had some opposition right on up through this morning. So I know the Lord has a word for us today. Jesus speaking, John 8, 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, that is, gave mental assent and believed he was telling the truth, if, conditional, if you abide, stay connected, stay in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you abide, if you stay connected in my word, not if you just hear it and like the sound of it, not if you hear it and even agree with it on the surface, but if you abide in my word, you stay connected, you walk with it, you, you allow it to become on the inside of you, then you're my disciples indeed and you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. What's so powerful about his word? All right. Now, turn back to the left with me to chapter 6. Why is the Word of God not just ink on a page, but that which the Spirit of God bears witness as you read those words on a page, that which the Spirit of God bears witness in your inner man, that is the voice of the Lord. Why is the Word... The written word and the Holy Spirit spoken word, why is it so powerful to set us free? Verse 63, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The flesh, that is that which is not of the Spirit, profits nothing. The words, watch this, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words, Jesus said, that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. So that when you receive my word, you're receiving me. How's that, Pastor? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and life. What does that mean? The DNA that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God's DNA is released through His Word. You cannot separate the DNA, the life of the Spirit of God from the Word of God. And when you by faith receive the grace of God, your spirit man becomes alive because the Holy Spirit comes to live in your human spirit. And so when you hear and receive by faith the Word of God, 
the Spirit of God moves on your human spirit, that born-again part of you. It's part of the DNA of the Spirit of God. It's in His Word. So that when we abide in that Word, then we begin to know the truth. It dispels darkness. It shines light. It breaks the power of sin. It breaks the grip of deception. It's life. Hebrews 4.12 says it like this. The Word of God is alive and full of power. It is living and acting and full of mighty power. Able to even discern between the soul and the spirit. The Word of God can get on the inside of you and tell you the difference between your spirit and soul. And how your soul must get in line with your spirit. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When I come to the Word and the Spirit of God shows me that Word, that the, He begins to show me not only my thoughts and where they are, but He shows me my motives. And you see, if we're just discerning our thoughts and words, we're not getting deep enough. The Holy Spirit wants to use His Word to discern our motives so that we can bring them in line with the truth of God's Word. So you see, the truth that we abide in can set us free because it has God's DNA in it. They are spirit in life. They are alive and powerful and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Without exposure to the Word of God, We can't be set free in our inner man because if we abide in the Word, then we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. Well, we talked about the problem of these people who heard that. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil. He is a liar and the father of all lies. We talked about how we can hear the Word of God and yet still walk in Vestiges of bondage. And all of us have to some degree these roots of bondage. And see, the problem with most of us is we see the fruits of the bondage. Oh, it might be anger. It might be addiction. It might be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, any number of things. You, 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 can, you can make a long list of the fruits of bondage. What the Lord wants to do is to deal with the roots of bondage. Because until you deal with the roots, you're always going to have the fruits. And so, the roots of that bondage are not that many. One we looked at is the root of pride. Thinking and speaking and acting as if I am sovereign over my own life. That is... We refuse to believe what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We refuse to believe and operate in the Word of God because Jesus said, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Turn back to the front of your Bible with me to Genesis 3. I want to show you how the root of pride developed and passed On to every one of us, me and you, the root of pride. I want to show you how I got going. You say, how how could could that have happened to me? 
something back in Genesis because the Word says that in the flesh we're sons and daughters of Adam. Do you know that Adam's spiritual genes got transferred to you through physical birth? You had to be reborn to get the spiritual genes of the Lord. You had to be reborn. But every one of us, these precious children back here, every one of us are born with the spiritual genetics of Adam. Our tendency is to rebel. Our tendency is to live as if we're in control of our own life. Our tendency is to act like his plan is not better than ours. That we have a better idea. That ours will always trump his. I want to show you this. God created the heavens and the earth. God created the beauty. God created Adam and Eve in his own likeness. And the word says that he blessed them. That is, he supernaturally empowered them to prosper and prevail. And he said to them, I will give you dominion over everything in this world. Everything. You have dominion. There's only one thing you can't do. You cannot eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Pastor, why would God restrict Adam and Eve in a perfect environment? Why would he restrict them from eating out of that tree? Well, you know, you may have a good idea about that, but here's mine. God doesn't make robots. Without choice, there's no love. You cannot have love without choice. And what God was after was a love relationship. And so he told them, if you eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, how many of you know who the serpent represented? The devil impersonated himself through this creature. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now wait a minute. The Lord God had made the serpent. What do you mean by that? Well, don't you remember what Isaiah and Ezekiel tells us? That when God created the vast heavenly host, one of those was, a, was an angel called Lucifer. And Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven in which a third of the angels of heaven joined him and the heart of his rebellion, you can read about it, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Don't go there now, just take my word for it. Write it down, look it out, look it later. The heart of that rebellion was, I will not be subservient to God Almighty. I will raise my throne above the throne of God. I will be worshipped. I won't worship anymore. I will be worshipped. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat out of the tree of the garden? Every tree. Every tree. You know what the serpent was saying? Look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Once you have a word from God, you can bet that there's going to be a voice that is going to come against that word, and normally it's going to come in the form of a question. Is that really what he's saying? 
Is that really what he's saying? And if you listen to that voice, then he's going to say, well, that's really not what he means. That's really not what he's saying. Remember, he's a deceiver. She said of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You know what the, you know what the, the deception of the enemy is? You don't have to bow and be sovereign to God Almighty. You do not have to serve. You don't have to go by His rules. There are no boundaries. Just do whatever you want to. It'll be okay. The word's either true or it's not. There are boundaries that God puts there, not so we won't love, not so we won't have grace, but the boundaries are because He loves us so much, He wants to protect us. Now let me tell you something else. If you withhold love for anybody, I don't care what practice of sexuality, I don't care what color, I don't care if you withhold love, you are violating the heart of God. He loves people who violate his boundaries just as much as he loves you. And if you judge and condemn and withhold love, you are violating the heart of God. But that don't mean the boundaries are not there. The enemy always says, you're not going, it's not important. These boundaries are not important. His word, look, you can do whatever you want to and it will be okay. Can I tell you something? It is true that you can do whatever you want to and God will still love you. It is not true that you can do whatever you want to and it'll be okay. He loves you too much to allow you to go down a self-destructive path. Notice what he says here in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. How many of you know that pride, that is not allowing God to be sovereign, Pride, I am in charge of my own life. I won't listen to nor obey you. How many of you know that pride always leads to rebellion? You say, well, I, you know, thank God I'm not like that. How many of you, look, we're all like that. You say, what do you mean? You mean you don't ever have any struggles with always believing you know what's best for you? And you know what's best for everybody else? Our pride. All our pride is is, a, is an insistence that we are sovereign and not Him. 
It's a deception. Notice what happened. Then the eyes, verse 7, of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed the leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Understand that fear and shame are immediate fruits of trying to be sovereign over your own life. If you hadn't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, fear and shame are inevitable and they don't, they don't take long to manifest themselves. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And the Lord called Adam and said to him, Where are you? It's not because he didn't know. It's because he wanted Adam to come to grips with where he was. Maybe God's saying to you today, Where are you? Where are you in this journey of allowing me to be sovereign? Are you still trying to run your own life? Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, Adam said, and I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. I got fear and I have shame going on. And God said, and who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, well, it was her fault. She did it. Look at verse 12. The woman whom you gave to be with me, he gave, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Some of you actually think that if your wife would just get it together, you'd be all right. How many of you know that there's absolutely no account whatsoever that God personally told Eve face to face, you shall not eat of the tree lest you die? There is evidence in the Scriptures, if you read in chapter 2, you'll find out that God said to Adam face to face, if you eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Eve was deceived by the serpent, but Adam was standing there and absolutely rebelled. The husband always has more responsibility, and we just better quit blaming the wife for our problems. That is a cop-out, and God does not allow that. He won't listen to it. You know what the Lord told me one time? I was crying out to God and wondering, why in the world are you not listening? And the Lord said, I can't. I found that a little strange. And the Spirit of the Lord prompted me to go to 1 Peter 3. And 1 Peter 3 says, Husbands, treat your wives with honor, lest your prayers be hindered. And God said to me, You're not treating your wife with honor. You love her, but you're not treating her with honor, so I'm not listening to you. You know what else he said? I don't listen to men who treat my daughters that way. You men who have daughters, are you going to listen and give people a seat at the table and don't treat your, wife, your daughters with honor? Not going to happen, is it? 
You don't honor that woman God has given you and you're married to, God's not going to listen to your prayers. That's a hard word, isn't it? I just share what I've received. Funny thing, when I began to repent of that and kind of get my act together, it's funny how many prayers started being answered. How about that? Fear manifested as a result of pride and acting like you're sovereign. We've said before, we, we fear loss, we fear lack, we fear we'll run out of funds, we'll fear that, you know, we'll die, or we fear the process of dying, we fear failure. And we fear failure because we fear that if we fail, we'll be rejected. And we fear that somehow we won't meet the expectations of other people. How many of you know that if we, part of the DNA of those of us who are servants, we better watch it because if we're servants, a lot of times without knowing it, we begin to get fearful that people will not be pleased by our level of service. There is a deceitful thing working in those of us who want to serve and do serve, and that is we begin to get fearful that we won't meet what others are expecting of us, and then what do we do? We overcompensate. We try to control and manipulate other people, our circumstances. We try to hoard or isolate. We try to hold on because in, our, in the depths of our being, we are afraid. We are fearful. Our source of security is how, what they're going to think about us instead of being God Almighty and Him alone. And I don't care whether it's a spouse or a child or an employer, whatever it is, God wants to deal with who it is that is holding us hostage in our, in our inner man. Who it is that we're afraid that they will de be disappointed in us and come to grips with it and start acting in line with what the Lord Jesus encourages us to do and stop holding ourselves hostage for pleasing everybody. Just when you think you've got everybody pleased, somebody will step to the front of the line and let you know you didn't please them. fear the enemy's always and look let me say this in job chapter 3 verse 25 and 26 here's what job said that which i greatly feared has come upon me what do you spend most of your time fearful about wouldn't be surprised if it's not manifesting in your life Because, see, when we greatly fear, we're allowing that circumstance, we're allowing that disease, that lack, that brokenness, we're allowing that to hold us hostage and become the center of our lives instead of the Lord God Almighty. We've got to make an aggressive stand against fear. It's destructive. And you see, the enemy's always paying attention. First Peter 5, 8, and 9 says that the, that the devil roams about, listen, roams about looking for someone to devour. 
You're having stress in your house? The devil is roaming about looking how to destroy your marriage and your relationships. He's not omnipresent. He is not omniscient, but he's very opportunistic. And he has a vast network of demonic spirits. One-third of the original angels of heaven have, are under his dispatch. So he has a vast intelligence system. And see, out of observation, the Word says that he is roaming about looking for someone to devour. Who's he looking for? Well, read the context. It's those who have not cast their worries, cares, and anxieties on the Lord. We get into a weakened position when we do that. We've got to declare war on fear. Look, you can't stay in neutral and win the battle with fear. Ask God to give you revelation. It's the love of God that casts out fear. First, Peter, uh, First John 4:18. Perfect love casts out fear. Do you know, you really may not have a money problem. You really may not have a brokenness in this or that. You really may have a fear problem. You can treat symptoms, but if you don't ever get to the root, you'll never get real freedom. we got to go and declare war on our fears. And look, don't say you don't ever have any fears. That means you're dead and don't know it. You have fears? They're going to crop up. They come through a thought. They come through an emotion. The problem is not that we have them. It's the problem is... We stay in neutral and they get their foot, their foot on our throat and we don't deal aggressively with our fears. We don't rise up and say, according to the Word of God, God has not given me a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. We don't say the love of God casts out fear. And the enemy will say, well, you don't even know what the love of God is. You better spout right back, Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out in my heart through the Holy Spirit. And I connect by faith with that love, not by my own feelings. You got to declare, well, you got to get aggressive about this. Spirit of God taking authority in your own spirit. Declare war. Admit, when the Lord shows you that there are issues there, confess it as sin. Apply the love of God. Confront it. And walk forward. The best way to dispel the spirit of fear is not only to receive the love of God by faith, not only to take a bold declarative stand that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but it is to advance, take the next right step. Walk towards your fears. Don't retreat. But you know what that means? You've got to personalize. You have got to personalize the promises of God. That's what sets you free. You've got to personalize them. Daniel and I were talking about this this week. It's not enough just to read them and say, oh, I believe they're true. I don't want to do you any good. Very, 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 very little. You've got to personalize it. Oh, I believe the scriptures are true. No, 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 that's not enough. You have got to take and own that word as yours. 
Let me tell you something. You spirit of fear. God calls it a spirit. I didn't. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Let me tell you something, you spirit of fear. I demand you to cease and desist your activities and assignments against me and my family. You have no place here. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. The love of God is in me. It casts out all fear. I will not stand for that. The heavens may roar and shake, but I will not fear. The Lord is for me. Who can be against me? You've got to personalize and make that word part of you in your own belief and declaration. You say, why is that true? Jesus told you when he met the devil face to face, the only thing he did was speak the word of God to the devil. That's all he did. He spoke the word. He didn't try to rationalize or argue. He really didn't even seek a lot of, you know, he didn't call a meeting of the disciples and say, guys, we got a problem. What are we going to do? He just spoke the word of God. You got to personalize. Neutral won't cut it. Speak it to yourself and over yourself and into the atmosphere of your world. Dean and I got a message last night about somebody in trouble. That is not uncommon. We prayed together and we spoke these words right in the atmosphere. In the name of Jesus, we apply the blood of Jesus. We demand the spirit of death to stop your assignment against this man and woman and against this child. Right now, in the name of Jesus. You say, Pastor, that is just radical. you got to get radical. If you don't personalize the word of God, you're going to get run over like a truck. you got to rise up. Something else it flows, not only fear, but anger flows out of pride. Are you listening to me? If I'm operating in pride, that is, I am the center of my world. I am in control. I get angry at people and circumstances that don't fit my expectations and my agenda. If people in my world are not acting the way that I think they should or doing what... What I've got the picture in my mind is the way it ought to be. Then anger builds up inside of me. And you know what that is a result of? Me still acting like I'm sovereign. God, have mercy on us. Sometimes anger is rooted in rejection. Sometimes we never feel loved and accepted for who we are the way we are by those closest to us. I feel deeply for those of you who are listening to my voice, not just here, but literally now all around the world. I feel deep compassion for those of you who've been rejected by those closest to you who don't accept you for who you are and the way you are. But I want to tell you something. You don't have to stay a victim. There is a God who is absolutely in love with you just as who you are and just as where you are. There is a God who loves you more than words can comprehend. 
There is a God that it's going to take eternity to you, for you to even find out the depths of that love. There is a God who can heal you in the depths of your soul and give you anything and everything more than enough that you need to heal you up. So don't stay a victim. Don't stay a victim. Don't let your past and how people acted define your future. Get involved with the love of God and go on a journey saying, I will learn to receive. There is nothing the love of God can't fix. Nothing. Sometimes we can have anger in our soul based on not being loved for who we are the way we are. All right, are y'all listening to me? Could it be that I, you, have wanted someone to be a certain way so deeply and for so long that we have failed to accept them for who they are and where they are. Could it be that we have failed? We've wanted them to see it and get it, and we've got an agenda for them in our own inner man, but we've wanted them to be who we believe they ought to be for so long and so hard that we have failed to love and accept them for who they are and right where they are. Broken as they may be, because we are too. Could it be? That is a deep root of rejection that makes people angry. When they don't believe that you value them enough to to love and accept them right where they are for who they are. Here's my point. When we begin to act sovereign, anger starts to build up and rebellion ensues. And shame puts a finishing touch. Notice what Adam and Eve said. Adam said, I was ashamed. We were naked. We ran. We were naked. And we were ashamed. Are you walking around with a root of shame today? Well, where did it come from? Did it come from God? No, watch, watch now, watch. Adam and Eve were ashamed and they started retreating. But guess what? God Almighty, the Father of Heaven, was chasing them. He wasn't chasing them out. They did that to Himself. He was chasing them to wrap them and clothe them in skins through the shedding of blood and to to forgive them and to heal them and bring them back into reconciliation. Can I tell you something? If you're dealing with shame today, you think God's mad at you. You think God don't want anything to do with you. You think because of the things you've done in darkness and rebellion that you can't get there. But I want to tell you something. There is a Lord that is chasing you down. There is somebody who loves you, who shed his own blood, and he is not running from you, he's running towards you. Shame does not come from the Lord. Stop that cycle. 
Get hold of the love and forgiveness of God as far as the east is from the west. He has forgiven you your sin. He's called you blessed and called you holy and righteous and blameless in Christ Jesus. That shame. God give you revelation that He's pursuing you. And ask Him to give you revelation that you may see yourself the way He sees you. Not as a dirty, forever rotten sinner, but somebody who is loved and granted grace who desires you with all of his heart. That's your God. Where'd you get all that? The Word of God. The living and abiding Word of God. That if we learn to abide in it, it sets us free. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you do business with the Lord right now? Would you say, Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing to me that I've been acting sovereign. I don't want to run from you. I want to kneel and bow to you. Father, have mercy on me for my pride for acting sovereign. Like I'm in charge of even my own life, much less somebody else's. Oh, break my heart, oh Lord. If that's what it takes for me to see it, show me the deep roots that only the power of your Spirit and your Word can break. Break my pride. Thou which I thought I used to be. Forgive me for allowing that to my own image to haunt me and hold me back. I'm totally dependent on you, Lord. Without shame. I come to you. Give me the revelation that you're pursuing me. And break the grip of the shame in my life. Give me revelation that you love me, Father, as much as you love Jesus, according to your word. I see it in your word. I want these roots to be broken. And I want to learn to love people right where they are. I want, to, I want the love of Jesus to manifest itself in me. So that I love myself the way you love me. You told me I couldn't love other people until I love myself. Lord, give me the love for myself that you have for me. And God, give me a love that penetrates the heart of all that you've brought into my life. Give me the love of God. Gay or straight, rich or poor, black or white. Oh God, give me a love that transcends all the outward exterior things that would divide. Oh, fill me with your love, Lord. 
that I will get revelation that you love everybody as much as you love Jesus, including you love everybody else as much as you love me. As the Spirit of the Lord moves on your heart, maybe you just want to stand right where you are and receive, acknowledging I receive that love. Whether you're sitting or standing today, would you say, Lord, by faith, in the name of Jesus, I believe your word. By faith, show me those places where I'm broken. And I apply the living word with life and power to that place of pride or shame or fear or anger or any other root. By faith, fill me, Holy Spirit. Love of God poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I receive your love. Give me greater revelation of your love, of your mighty grace that flows out of that love, that I might receive that love, and that I might carry that love to those you bring into my life all around me. Oh, Lord, to those who are so different from me, let your love break down every barrier. Without compromise, in the name of Jesus, I receive it. Amen. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.